What's going on, everyone? Happy Monday. Hope you had a great weekend. I'm Dylan. And I'm Josh. And we're the Out of Office Podcast. Yes. If people say it's your option, we'll be like, we'll take our chances. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and speaking of um, folks holding out, did you see the Florida governor today? <laughs> I've been married for 30 years. You don't know <laughs> Good afternoon, Josh. How's it going, man? I'm I'm hyped up on caffeine, so I feel like this is going to be a good episode. Nice. I'm doing good, Dylan. I also got some coffee, too. Okay. I'll show it in the camera. When you texted me that you, you just went and got coffee to get hyped for the episode, I was like, this is a great idea. Yeah, yeah. So I ran and got some coffee real quick. Yeah, hopefully I don't get the jitters and the crash later like I usually do, but I had a, a free Starbucks drink. And unfortunately, I lost like 50 of my points. So those of you that go to Starbucks know that's a that's a free drink. So I missed out just because I go so infrequently. And I have just had those points built up over, I think, over like a year or two, in all honesty. <laughs> Probably not a year or two, yeah, but this remember, year. Yeah, I remember having a Starbucks reward count. I think when we, when we were both still in U District area, I used to go there a lot. And then since then, less so. I don't know. I just haven't lived by a lot of Starbucks randomly since I've moved from the UW area. Yeah, I think that's probably a good thing. It's kind of, at least in my opinion, a pretty big waste of money compared to just doing it at home. Yeah. I didn't really notice a huge taste difference. Yeah, I think almost if you do it at home too, it can taste a little bit better. You can use a little bit higher quality beans and um, make it yourself. Ultimately, coffee is just bean water. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty, pretty expensive. Water. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. So uh, how's your weekend been yeah. going? It, it's been going good. I went to uh, Portland yesterday and then Cannon Beach afterwards. Uh, Julie and I made a day trip, saw my parents, shout out to my mom. Um, and so I got to have lunch slash brunch, I guess, uh, with them outside, sitting outside, socially distanced. Nice. Um, and then made our way over to Cannon Beach and hung out on the beach there for a couple hours, which was pretty fun. Rained a little bit, um, which is just kind of, I think, the Oregon coast. It's just seems like it's never good weather there. <laughs> and uh, But it was still really good, though. It's still nice to sit on the beach for a little bit of time. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I've never actually been to the Oregon coast. Is it what are the beaches like there? Is it, you know, nice California sand or is it more, you know, the dark gray? Yeah. Yeah, the... The times that I've been to the Oregon coast, it seems like for me, um, it often is just a little bit gray, pretty windy too. The beaches themselves are really nice, the nice sand and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I just feel like whenever I go, it's just a little bit chillier where once you get to LA, right, it's like you're going there to sunbathe and maybe splash into the water a little bit. But uh, Oregon and the Washington coast too kind of seems like you're more walking along it with a white jacket on um it's not really more to sunbathe but maybe that's just the times i've gone i don't know maybe okay. i'm just unlucky gotcha do you think you'd ever live yeah like on a beach would you want to live on the water like what's your dream where, where where would your dream house be in terms of location not doesn't have to be like a state but like would you want it near the water or would you want it in more yeah. foresty area or city or what yeah, I wouldn't mind a view of the water if I, you know, had all the resources in the world. Uh, I don't know necessarily if a, a beach is a super big deal for me. Um, if I can afford it, that's great. But uh, for me, I do kind of get annoyed with like the sand and whatnot. And it's just like kind of messy. Mm -hmm. um, and so it isn't something I'm like super excited about. Like, ah, I need a beach, you know, for uh, for if I had my dream house. But, you know, I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. How about you? Oh yeah, I'd love to live uh near the water. I would I think I'd be more inclined to not want to have a house where it's like you open the door, take a few steps and you're right on the water just because global warming, storms and things like that. So I'd yeah. I'd more want to have like a really mm -hmm. large property where it's, you know, maybe like a football field's length away from the water, but you can walk down to it um from there. Kind of mm -hmm. get what I'm saying? Yeah, for sure and yeah, with global warming, it makes it super weird. I know there's some services out nowadays for if you're buying property um, that you think there's even a chance of like water getting higher 
um, and it kind of overtaking your property. You can buy reports now, which like gives us different scenarios for the house you're buying mm-hmm. and um, basically showcases like what's the probability of global warming taking over your house and property. Wow. And, uh, you know, it's really interesting. Humans adapt. We're not necessarily adapting right now to changing the course of it, but at least we're we're building in like how to change our um, purchasing habits in light of global warming. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would always, yeah, I would get super nervous that the the water level would just rise and you don't have a house anymore. Yeah, I definitely, I, I wonder if global warming has slowed down due to, you know, the virus and everything that's going on. Just because mm-hmm. at least in Seattle, I feel like we haven't had a summer at all. It's been like top 71 degrees for the past two months and i feel like at least now we get into the higher 70s 80s and it's sunny every day typically yeah yeah i mean hopefully with covid and stuff it doesn't it definitely hasn't had a negative impact with less people driving and whatnot and i think um agriculture tends to contribute a lot to global warming as well too and so the the supply chain difficulties i'm sure have been really bad right because mm-hmm. people aren't able to get the food that they want but as i read through the vegan facebook group that i'm still a part <laughs> of they definitely point out one of the pros is that um there's less uh animals getting killed and um i think as agriculture slows down potentially a little bit that it'll probably help global warming oh sorry come back global warming, yeah not what vegan page is this this is the seattle one that you were on since college when you became a vegan for yeah like how long yeah. were you a vegan for like a month i don't like two or three months two or three months yeah dasa you were yeah, the funniest a- vegan though because it wasn't like you were eating a ton of vegetables at least what i what i saw it's just like you started just eating french fries every night <laughs> and tater tots <laughs> <laughs> hey Dylan, the intent was there okay yeah <laughs> it's the it's the effort that counts um but or i guess that was not much effort though uh but yeah it was it was a good couple of months i, I enjoyed eating french fries for uh, two months <laughs> two straight months, yeah you think you'll ever go back no i don't think so yeah um i think like going through that little phase it definitely changed in some ways like how i think about my meat consumption yeah um and how i think about just my diet in general and so i think there was like really good lasting impacts to like trying to force myself to eat less meat to your point maybe i didn't balance it out as i should have um but at least like minimizing um how much i eat meat um i definitely like now still try to um not necessarily decrease the amount of meat amount of meat i eat but just be cognizant of it yeah um like i don't think it's you know you need a steak every night I don't know if that's necessarily healthy, like having just like an absurd amount of red meat for every meal. And so um, that's at least one thing like I learned through it. Yeah. I wonder if that's something that we're going to move towards just not eating meat as a society or really decreasing it. I think if meat alternatives get to the point where they're proven that they're healthier and they taste just like meat, then maybe. But until then, I don't think people as a whole like care enough because I feel like it's pretty common knowledge how fucked up the... Um, they treat animals in the food industries and yet we still eat meat yeah yeah i agree and chicken I think, tenders are delicious um, sorry <laughs> <laughs> no i feel like at least um people are becoming more aware of it like mm-hmm. the amount of protein um that i think some countries like the u.s consume like per person is just like it's just a little bit too much um because i think we just are lucky enough to be able to have meat at every corner at like a relatively cheap price mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think, think that like, you know, necessarily you need to take advantage of it every meal. And so, um, it seems like more people are being aware of it, but not necessarily eating less. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. <sighs> but yeah, I mean, it's been a, uh, a week filled with stories to say the least. It's like, I remember when we were prepping for, you know, just deciding topics, yeah. um, to talk about, we had missed a few just because of the crazy news cycle, but yeah, I know one big yeah, one. It's crazy always checking in at our list, you know, on we release a podcast on Monday. So we usually check on on Tuesday or Wednesday. What's the list for next week? Mm-hmm. And now fast forward to Sunday. It's like that priority is like already changed. Yeah, <laughs> um, just because there's so much stuff going on in the world right now. Yeah, yeah. And I think one big story that was at the beginning of the week was the mm-hmm. um, Brazil president uh, Bolsonaro, I think is how you say his last name. 
um, he actually tested positive for the coronavirus, and he was—he's been one of the main people that's been a big denier of it. Like it's—it's just, it's just a flu; yeah. it's not really a big deal, anything like that. So, what are your what are your kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, I think it, it was only almost a matter of time before he got it, just because Brazil is having such a bad outbreak right now. Um, it's really, I think, along with the U.S., kind of considered the epicenter of coronavirus mm-hmm. right now, and. Uh, Jay Bolsonaro was being super reckless in terms of how he was approaching the virus. Yeah. Um, you know, he was almost more aggressive than Trump with his denial of it um, and basically spreading disinformation about it just because, of course, he's worried about um, his perception and whatnot. And I think for whatever reason, he he um, he tends to follow kind of how Trump acts, too. He's kind of followed the Trump playbook for getting elected and... Mm-hmm. Um, running his presidency, but it did seem like just with how many cases Brazil has and um, his resistance to wearing a mask or really taking any preventative uh, measures, um, you know, having lunch with groups of seven or eight people in close contact, refusing to wear a mask and whatnot, it seemed like he was almost going to get it at some point. And I thought the the really crazy thing too was when he gave the interview of telling the reporters that he had coronavirus. Mm-hmm. The way that he told them was he took off his mask and then took two two or three steps back and was like basically telling these reporters without a mask that, hey, I just got coronavirus just to let you know. And he's only like only four or five feet, feet away from the reporters. <laughs> I was like, wow, you're crazy. Yeah, I think he says like, you might want to really stay away triple. from me or something like that, too. <laughs> yeah, he literally took off his mask to tell people that he had coronavirus. He's like, don't worry, we're like five feet away. But if I was a reporter, I'd be it's like, like it's six feet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'd, reckless. It's, I'd be like, oh my gosh. Yeah, imagine just being around someone with coronavirus without a mask. Like that'd be like, ah, mm-hmm. man. Yeah, it's, yeah, it would be super scary. Yeah, and he's been doing uh, Zoom meetings and stuff like that, and is isolating now. But uh, I think it's going to be crazy if he doesn't get a bad case, and it's just you know one of the mild cases where it's just he's fine or whatever because he is sixty five years old, yeah. and if he gets it like that, then he how he's going to come out of this is going to be like, it's no big deal even more, more so than yeah, that. It'll be super dangerous. Yeah. Either, either. Uh, yeah. I think two things would happen is that he gets a really mild case and it's going to be really bad because he's just going to like downplay it even more mm-hmm. or he gets really sick and maybe it changes his view on it. Kind of how like, um, Boris Johnson got it and his, it seemed like his view of it changed. Um, although he was never like as crazy as Bolsonaro, Bolsonaro yeah. was, but like once he got it, he changed up. You know how he acted about it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because he Boris did end up getting hospitalized for it a little bit, but it'll be interesting to see over the next couple of weeks um, how he fares with it. You know, I'm always really conflicted because I never want you know someone to get hurt or to um you know become really sick but um if you know if he has a similar experience as boris had and having to get hospitalized for a day or two and kind of scare him a little bit um i do think it'll ultimately uh help more people because i think his his approach to it would change yeah i think it'll be definitely more beneficial him getting more sick than him not uh, just because it'll affect a lot more people's lives if it is Indeed, he doesn't get that yeah. sick. Yeah. But so far, so good, it looks like. Uh, but we'll see. It's a lot of people get it, and I think it lasts, you know, it can last like two weeks or whatever, and they don't feel, they feel fine mm-hmm. for a little bit, and then they'll feel really sick again. Yeah. And so, yeah, I guess only time will tell with him. Yeah, it goes up and down because Boris didn't get um, admitted until like week three, right? Mm-hmm. Week two and a half, three, where he. He just couldn't shake it for whatever reason. Yeah. He like passed a two week mark and then he just still felt really um, bad. And so he did. I think he got admitted like way later in like what you would think is a typical cycle. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, with the case spice spikes in the U.S., I know that Florida today, today is Sunday, by the way, everyone. Um, they just surpassed 15,000 cases in a day, which is the most for any state anywhere. Mm-hmm. But what they've been saying with the uh number of cases that have been increasing is that the death rate has seemingly gone down so it was at about like seven or eight percent now it's a bit under five percent um but that's primarily due to it appears um younger people getting it so people that are less likely to be you know severely compromised uh 
from it and then they could also say though that could change because you know the spikes are just happening and people that do end up dying from it it takes you know a few weeks so we'll see yeah that's interesting yeah it, it is good to hear that at least the death rates um is going down but still a lot of new cases florida is getting really bad i'm hearing texas is even considering going back to phase one um i think atlanta is considering shutting it down too wow. and um everyone going back to stay at home orders uh which will be interesting to see how that plays out for sure um i did see trump wore a mask for the first time today uh since coronavirus wow. starts, the first time he's shown a mask. Wow, what a weak man wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah. Fringing on and my rights. <laughs> of course, he had to like, as he, as he wore it, he was like, I was never against masks. You know, I just thought it was personal choice and whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know um, how much the Brazil president getting coronavirus may have impacted like him being willing to wear a mask. I don't know if you think there's like any correlation there for him seeing like basically another him. Yeah. Um, and Brazil is basically experiencing the same thing that the U S is experiencing. Yeah. Um, if that impacted him being willing to wear a mask. Yeah. I think it probably did because he's like, okay, maybe I can get it. I mean, that's the second person that's, that's gotten it. That's been a world leader and one that I, you know, Mm -hmm. like, um, so it could definitely happen to me. Maybe I'll be a little bit more careful or maybe he's seeing that, uh, with like more southern states putting on masks and mandating and them whatnot maybe he wants to be on the right side of things um if it does show that yeah. it's you know a good thing to do so we'll see i don't think he, i'd be surprised if he kept wearing a mask this week though i think that was probably just a one-time thing and then he'll take it off like he did last yeah, time or he'll phase it in yeah he'll phase it in yep i was always <laughs> about <do>. masks <laughs> i was always yep. about wearing the mask and like to give some context too around the the different numbers we're seeing, Florida reported 15 new cases daily. And then I was just curious to look at some of the countries that are kind of getting it, are um, getting this behind them, especially like some of the European countries that won't let us visit anymore. Yeah. And when I looked through the list, it was crazy. Canada is only at 200 new cases a day. France is at like 600. UK is at 600. Um, and then the U.S. is at 60,000 with Florida and 15,000 alone. <laughs> yeah, I think it's very clear that we didn't handle, we haven't handled this correctly. <laughs> yeah, it's it's insane, like the, the number of cases. You know, it makes me feel good because um, it doesn't necessarily make me feel good. It makes me feel more comfortable that there's a number of different countries with similar infrastructures and population density that have gotten over this, mm-hmm. if not even worse population density. And so... There's a playbook for us to get to that lower case count. It's just like, you know, when do we want to go buy yeah. in and we've moved a post take seriously. So much farther though away, like the the goalpost. It's true, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I guess we would have just really locked down strictly straight at the beginning, which was, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. And it's it's kind of difficult to say that we yeah. should have initially because there's so much unknown about the the virus. We really didn't know how it would impact things, whether it would overrun hospitals. Yeah didn't know like who it affected or what kind of disease it was. Um, like I, I was listening to a podcast on the New York Times and they had called it, it was more of like a blood like infection um, rather than being mm-hmm. just like a lung thing. And so, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to go back and say, you know, we should have done X, Y, and Z. But at the same time, mm-hmm. given that we're doing so much worse than a lot of countries that, you know, have, like you said, have similar infrastructures, um, it's clear that we didn't do, <laughs> didn't do the right thing. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Um, I agree completely. And it was interesting, too, because I was rereading. We talked a little bit about last week about, um, I think, the difficulties of um, the CDC at the beginning. And should we go and wear masks right away or should we tell Americans not to wear masks? And I guess when they gave that uh, initial guidance, it wasn't super clear, too, if coronavirus could be spread through asymptomatic patients. I think the original thought was that um, SARS, which is kind of like the cousin of coronavirus that happened 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, when SARS was going around, the the thing with that virus is that you couldn't spread the virus until you showed symptoms. And so the thought was that with COVID, it would be the same. You won't be able um, to spread it unless you show symptoms. 
And the difference between that and being able to spread it without symptoms is like drastically different, mm-hmm. right? And it changes how you shape um, public health policy too. It's very different. And so um, they were saying that that really played into some of the some of the reasons too and why we weren't wearing masks right away because they didn't actually know, you know, that asymptom- asymptomatic people or they weren't um, super confident that asymptomatic people could could share it. Um, which is really why, you know, we're, we're wearing masks today and why they kind of change your guidance to don't wear masks because it's not effective, which was really what they said mm-hmm. verbatim. And now it's saying, you know, you have to wear masks. Yeah. And then they also didn't want people to hoard them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As well. So, yeah, it's 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 just a it's an interesting thing. I get that people don't want to. Uh, wear a mask because they're saying you know first it starts with wearing a mask and then they take away all your rights but it's like you know this is just to protect you and each other like everyone else around you and it's really not that big of a deal like wearing a mask isn't that crazy of a right to you know give up (laughs) and it's reasonable to enforce them if it does stop infections and doesn't continue to wreak havoc on our economy by being able to open things up if people just wear masks yeah. And uh, it's it's interesting too the paranoia of some of those folks. I think like this is the start to to police <laughs> order government surveillance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or, it's communism. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> it's interesting. It's an interesting take on it for sure. Yeah. Uh I, I don't think this is the entryway into like uh Big Brother, you know. <laughs> no. The mess is the step in the Big Brother mess. Yeah, if you wanna worry about that, worry about uh, companies like Facebook and stuff like that hoarding your data and that sort of things. Yeah, and like companies selling yeah, your data online. That's where, time. yeah, not wearing a mask. The facial recognition software too. Maybe spend more time worrying yeah, about that. Yeah, than the masks. yeah. Let's worry about the important things. That's <laughs> there's a lot more stuff. That they some do. of that facial recognition software is like that is crazy because you know in um, some parts in China, I think it's in Shenzhen and other big cities too. But I just think Shenzhen comes to mind where they're like this tech metropolis. Um, and I think there, they have the technology now where if you cross the street jaywalking, they have the camera set up where they take your picture and then they automatically Fine, yeah. um, give you a ticket. Yeah. And it just comes out of your bank account or whatever. It's not like you get a notice or anything. It's like, no, we saw you jaywalking. Joshua Banks, we know it's you. And then you just like Always get it deducted like that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Man, yeah. So let's worry about that if we're worried about the Big Brother stuff. <laughs> yeah, dude. It's <laughs> not the masks. The technology they have is crazy too. And because an everyday guy like me or you won't know how to verify if it's actually, you know, working accurately. Mm-hmm. And so they can kind of just use that yeah. against people and say, Oh no, the, the software works and we saw you here and you weren't even there. It's like they can yeah, kinda do whatever sure. with that sort of stuff. I don't know if you've um heard about um uh I think it's like called deep fakes or whatever. And you're basically able to yeah. put your face or someone else's face on someone else. And then it, it mm-hmm. looks like pretty real. Like it looks pretty legit. So I just wonder mm-hmm. how, when are we going to not even know what reality is? Because as that software progresses, they can just put people's faces on all kinds of different things and make it seem like they're doing X, Y, and Z and use it to blackmail them when it's not even something that happened. Like how, and once that starts happening and they're able to do that sort of stuff, then nobody's going to believe anything that, that goes on. They'll be like, oh, that was just a fake. That's a fake. That's not a real video. How are we going to verify that sort of thing? Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be super terrifying. And I think, you know, ho- hopefully there's some type of policy or legislation that comes through to help combat that uh, misuse of that. Although it... it it's always hard too because my Congress doesn't understand it either, mm-hmm. right? Like when they brought in um, Zuckerberg to go testify when the the ads and the Russia stuff was happening a couple of years ago, yeah. And like the Congress people were basically asking, like, so what is the internet, Mark? Like their questions were just so. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> it, it was clear they didn't really understand. Uh, a lot of them didn't really understand like how the internet functions and how Facebook plays a role mm-hmm. in that. Um, and so it's scary that, you know, as they work on different policies to to help combat misuse of that, um, how they do it in a way where they don't really understand it themselves. Yeah. And they can, the government can use it against other governments too as well. They can be like, oh, this president said this and like just make a fake yeah. video of him doing that. Because I don't know if you've seen 
uh, they'll do a lot of them. They sue them for like Obama and stuff like that, and they turn yeah. uh, what he said into like a rap by just taking sound bouts of him saying specific words and then make it into like a full yeah. song. And so I feel like that technology will improve too, and we won't even know what reality is. Yeah, uh, hopefully, I, I think some um, some companies and at least some people like involved with that type of research are slowing it down right now. Mm-hmm. I think it may have been IBM pulled out of um, the R&D of like that type of technology over, over concerns. And I think there was a couple other companies too. And I do get nervous too, because it's like, just because we can do something technology wise and develop it doesn't mean we should. Doesn't mean we necessarily should. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I think this is a good example of like, just because we can go and create this, like, I don't know if, if it makes the most sense to go and do that. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be crazy. Even just thinking about the entertainment aspect, like Oculus glasses and stuff like that. When are they going to get to the point where it's just too real? Like where people just end up yeah, wanting sure. to only be on their headsets and like Ready Player One, the movie. Oh, yeah. Like those movies. Yeah. Yeah. Man. Man, yeah, it's crazy. It'll be crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll be crazy in the next like 20 years for sure. Yeah. Because uh, a lot of that's going to get to a point where um, I think VR, AR, um, and then the defakes and some of that artificial intelligence technology is going to get to a point where it's just like, it's it's there mint you know? yeah <laughs> yeah yeah oh man well yes but but speaking of education i don't know if you saw trump's putting some pressure on universities right now um to to reopen back up yeah yeah i saw that um i think they were going to revoke visas for students that were taking classes online so international students which would be pretty major for colleges and universities because for those of you that don't know, international students typically pay like a significantly higher tuition. Like I think at UW it was almost double. Um, So like they Mm -hmm. pay like $80,000 a year versus, you know, in states like 20 or around that um, if you don't include room and board. So definitely would yeah. be a big hit for the colleges if that happens and people are like well i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna take these online classes and pay 80 80 grand <laughs> yeah because higher education in the u.s ultimately is a business at the end of the day and absolutely it's an incredibly lucrative business too and when we look at like what makes up that business a bulk of it is going to be international students because to your point, they get charged uh, an exorbitant rate compared to in-state students. Um, and then they typically pay full price, too. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, they're paying full price. They're not getting, um, you know, university-granted scholarships and stuff like that. And so it, it really does seem like he's trying to put financial pressure on them to to reopen back up, um, which is which is pretty scary. And I've already seen, like, some petitions. I saw the one on Facebook on hey, let's position UW to offer some one-credit in-person class that you know, or international students can sign up for and um, and be able to take and still enroll. And it puts, um, I think it puts some students in a really difficult spot too on like, do they want to stay in the U.S. where uh, COVID is spreading wildly just to make sure that they can still attend college mm-hmm. or do they want to go back home? Yeah. Um, and so it, it is a super difficult position. And I know, I think MIT and Harvard have already partnered up to to sue and try to block that order. Um, and my guess is other uh, universities follow suit and, and join that cause to try to block that. Yeah, and I think another interesting thing that you kind of touched on is uh, schools are suing Trump because of this. Uh, um, and I think one of the things that a lot of people don't realize, the reasoning behind why Trump is doing this is because he's you know, trying to force schools to open, like you mentioned earlier, where the media and everyone is kind of just chalking it up to being like a racist thing, like saying, oh, he just doesn't want immigrants in the U.S. and he's just trying to push out a bunch of immigrants. But it's a lot more he's trying to uh, actually, you know, force schools to open because that kind of fits his agenda and what he's trying to do is which is to get everything back and running and open. Yeah, it's about getting business back going for him ultimately. And this is just uh, another... Um, one of America's businesses that he's trying to 
um, I almost said nudge over the starting line, but really push force yeah. over the to to get people back started. And so that I think that really is like the his intention and even K through twelve, he's doing something similar in that um for he's threatening to withhold federal funding and whatnot. Um Betsy DeVos is saying all of this crazy stuff like the CDC guidelines are too unrealistic, schools won't be able to open. And so even for K through 12, he's kind of following the same approach of trying to really force schools to reopen. Um, and for K through 12, it is kind of terrifying because it is, you know, now we're talking about kids kind of being pawns in this. How do we reopen um, process? And so that part is a bit scary. And I think for a lot of schools, too, they're just looking for for help and some collaboration to to get stuff started. Um, I don't think there's a lot of schools that are saying, you know, we don't want students back next year mm-hmm. um, because, you know, the 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 negatives of that in terms of um, how, you know, another generation of um, people are educated would be bad. Um, a lot of the social skills that kids learn in school, that would be really bad too. not being able to interact with other kids too, like the social impacts of that. And so I think a lot of schools are saying, we want to reopen. We just want to make sure we do it safely. Um, yeah. But this approach is more of like just putting a gun to their head and saying, no, 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 stop talking. Like, mm-hmm. we need to go. We need to go open it right now. Yeah, agreed. And I do think, at least personally for me, I do think it's very important that schools do figure out something where they can have kids in school and in class just because uh, kind of thinking of outside factors is mm-hmm. kids in, you know, um, disadvantaged communities especially or you know um, less wealthy areas are going to be affected the most because those districts don't have the money to you know give everyone a laptop a lot of those kids rely on free and reduced lunch and they're not getting that a lot of the kids might not have the best home life and their parents can't you know spend time Mm -hmm. and teach them stuff and help them out with school and school's kind of a safe haven for them and it really is an opportunity that. Uh, can kind of help them improve their life moving forward. If they are able to do well in school, they can go to you know a good college and get a job and that sort of mm-hmm. things. And right now, they're not even really getting a fair chance or opportunity. Where I know schools that are in wealthier areas, like let's say uh, in Seattle, Bellevue is a really wealthy area. All the kids have a laptop just in general already at those oh. schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not going to be a problem. Their parents can pay for online tutoring and things like that. A lot of them, not all of them, I mean, but... You know, it's a lot higher percentage. And so I think it'll just result in a greater disparity between, you know, um, less advantaged communities and wealthier communities in terms of knowledge and learning and just opportunities in the future. So that's that's my big thing. And uh, especially considering the fact that for, you know, young kids and uh, I guess college students, the death rate is so low that it's almost... I, or maybe not let's let's take out college because you know you pay for that and you can do that online but yeah k through 12 it's kind of like uh, i think it's i think the the pros outweigh the cons in that sense of having them go back mm-hmm. to school rather than keeping them out so i would i would definitely push for kids to be able to go back to school because of those reasons yeah i think some great points for sure um yeah i think getting kids back to school is something that needs to happen um, but it needs to be done safely, ultimately. Yeah. Um, and so how do you go and solve both those things? It's going to be hard for sure. And I just don't know if um, threatening to withhold federal funding right now is uh, the best mechanism to go and mm-hmm. solve that collectively. Yeah, I'd agree um, with that. And it would help. Yeah. And the the thing I get nervous about, too, is that if this keeps up and uh, the case accounts don't go down, Will it be safe to open schools? And so I think we really need to, um, you know, take it more seriously and bring down that curve to to have kids go back to school. Because um, if it if it continues at this kind of scale, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it'll be possible for that to happen. But we'll see. Next couple of months, we'll definitely see. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Hopefully, we figure out something out or come up with treatments so it's not as as risky or just come up with some sort of plan herd immunity man we're probably getting pretty close to that too yeah i I think the uh, we might be at five to ten percent infected for the u.s right now yeah at what point do we just say all right let's just herd immunity 
Like we have no chance of shutting this thing down. Yeah. I don't want to be Granted. part of that herd though. Everyone else, good luck. <laughs> I'd like yeah, to not get it. Half a million people will die for that herd. You mean for that herd immunity, so Yeah. I wonder I I'd 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 be interesting to see like the because a lot of people bring this up, the you know, the actual impact versus the deaths, which is, you know, mm -hmm. it's a dark thing to look at, but it's you know, how much worse off will we be if we just, you know, go with herd immunity versus um you know shutting things down and hurting the economy yeah. and that sort of thing i don't know i don't know i have no idea because i know a lot of people's lives are being ruined right now that's 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 a fact yeah <laughs> yeah but we do have an option right outside mm -hmm. of it isn't um herd immunity or we just shut everything down it's like we can take the middle approach of like what most other countries have done and take it really seriously for a short period of time and, and not have to worry about either of those two scenarios that's true because um, i don't think they're having this argument in canada right now yeah that's a good right? point that's a good point you can you know kind of meet in the middle wear masks socially distance yeah mm -hmm. yeah clubs clubs are done and it's but... a win-all <laughs> yeah that's a, that's yeah that's true the some bars and clubs you know we will we may need to sacrifice but um yeah. that's probably better sacrifice in human lives yeah true i wonder how that's gonna be is it ever gonna be the same with that like clubs and stuff like I that. I think I think stuff will come back, honestly. And I it's just a matter of how long. Um I, I do think stuff will come back. I know the Airbnb CEO did an interview on Bloomberg um last week or was it yesterday? A couple of days ago. Whatever. Yeah, I think it was like um, a day ago. At least that's what it said on had, YouTube. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and he had some very interesting takes on where he sees the, the world moving forward, how the travel and hospitality industry will be moving forward. I don't know if you got a chance to to watch that. Yeah, yeah, I watched that uh, actually um, this morning again. I took a took a look at it, and it was you could definitely see that he was you know hopeful for the future, but at the same time he was definitely bummed out because they were supposed to IPO mm -hmm. this year, and they were supposed to be like yeah. pretty much the the biggest IPO. And so he might have lost out on, you know, billions of dollars um, in a okay. sense if they can't turn things around. But I think they eventually will. But, yeah, he had been just talking about how um, how they're kind of just shifting their whole business model because of what's going on, too. Mm -hmm. um, I know that they've yeah. started doing virtual stuff, which is basically they'll have like virtual experiences you can pay for. Um, for example, you can cook with like a renowned chef where the renowned chef does a tutorial um, online. You'll pay like 40 bucks for it and you get a. <coughs> You know, get on a Zoom call with them, and they show you exactly what to do. Um, another one was like how to set up a podcast. So if anyone wants to try and become our rivals, uh, check that out. <laughs> we'll be holding a class. Uh, yeah. On, on air. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah, he was just talking about how um, he doesn't think travel will ever be the same again, um, which was pretty crazy. Like business travel, like 100, mm -hmm. percent it's not going to be the same. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> business travel will be. I think. Um, Leisure travel will eventually shift back. Uh, but for business travel, yeah, that's a hard one. Because that's more of a cost. Then you start talking about, well, what's the cost of it Yeah. Um, for for different companies? And so I do think that'll, that'll definitely have a lasting impact. Luckily for Airbnb, I'm sure their, um, their corporate slash business mix uh, relative to consumer is probably incredibly small. I think they were just starting to like kick that off like airbnb for um the traveling business person versus like a just a, a person traveling for fun mm -hmm. i think yeah they were just kicking off that like airbnb for business side and so hopefully they don't have too much exposure there yeah and i feel like they probably don't just because i know at least for where i work it's not an option to do airbnb it's all hotels yeah, I think my work, they were just starting to do Airbnb. Airbnbs. Okay. And it's weird. I don't know why it's weird, too, because when I travel for business, I only want to do a hotel. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why. It would seem weird to me so, if yeah, I did an Airbnb. Get a house, meet up then, with someone, get the key. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, but vice versa, too. Like, for if I'm traveling for fun, I rarely stay in a hotel unless it's the cheapest last option and there's, mm -hmm. like, a good deal on it. But I'll always default to looking at an Airbnb first for personal use. Yeah. And I don't know why that's the case. Maybe because typically I'm traveling in a group bigger than two for personal travel. It's uh, typically a group of friends. And 
maybe that's why, but I don't know. Like my mind's like very split in terms of if I'm traveling for business or personal, like what platform I use. Yeah, and Airbnb is perfect, especially if you're traveling with a group of friends or whatnot. You can get like yeah. a house for the weekend. And, you know, that's that's it's a pretty cool feature. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see because um, another thing that he talked about was um, with people working remotely now and businesses realizing that they can't have people work remotely. Um, he was saying that a lot of people might start to just live in different areas for different parts of the year. So they might, you know, yeah. do six months in mm-hmm. Los Angeles, six months in Seattle. And as long as they're in a time zone that's, you know, close enough to their work hours or they can kind of, you know, wake up early or, you know, work later, that mm-hmm. it'll be probably something that we see a lot more of. Yeah, I think so, too. Like, I have even thought personally it would be great to live in L.A. from January to May and then come back to Seattle afterwards. And I think a lot of professionals that are able to work remotely are thinking about that. Mm-hmm. It's a different question of will people actually take action on that like i think a lot of people are thinking in their head like oh i can have all these options right yeah and i think humans oftentimes default to no action yeah um (laughs) it's hard to move i mean move a different state all the time not easy yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's it's sounds great in concept but actually doing it is um difficult because you have to literally move and then um yeah there's just a lot of steps to it but I do think he's right in that a lot of people are considering like that um, shifting, like how they, how they live places and switching it up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see. I know that he had talked about how um, the hosts were pretty pissed initially with what happened. Cause for those of you that mm-hmm. don't know, they ended up refunding or like kind of like forced refunding people that were, you know, had booked a, airbnb and then COVID happened they gave them the yeah. money back but then it was kind of like screwing over the hosts mm-hmm. and so they ended up having to take out 250 million of their own money and give it back to the host but even still they weren't able to cover everything yeah and so it'll be interesting to see if people will continue to use airbnb and rent out their house because i know a lot of people were kind of over leveraged a bit they were buying a bunch of houses oh yeah and for just sure so people were being reckless with it with airbnb yeah. yeah and it's almost reminds me of the mortgage crisis you know like a mm-hmm. a long time ago what people were doing were just you know get, getting houses flipping them renting them out and that sort of things but they were doing it with airbnb so it'll be interesting to see if people will still want to go in and do that and if that'll affect you know the number of homes available on airbnb uh, moving forward yeah. yeah that one's an interesting one i think for for Airbnb, that's a super difficult situation because as COVID was evolving, like it, it becomes a question of like who should share and eat that risk. Mm-hmm. And I think it's unfair if the consumer, you know, eats all of it. I yeah. think it's unfair if the host does all of it. And I think it's unfair if Airbnb eats all of the cost too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think you have to reach some type of middle ground where you kind of share it. And for a host, you will hopefully get some money back from Airbnb, but will you get all of it? I don't know if that's fair or not. Right. Like, is it Airbnb's fault, Airbnb's fault, like coronavirus happened yeah. and that they should like pony up, you know, what would be they already spent hundreds of millions of dollars. It would probably be to do it right, like maybe a billion dollars. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's um, a bit unfair. And so how do you like go and split that? And for some of the folks that were like super leveraged on Airbnb, though, and they were like doing, you know, some sketchy things financially to just like print houses, basically, mm-hmm. and print rental properties. I feel less bad about that because it's like pretty risky, you know, yeah, and like you were taking a risk. Taking a risk um, and was hoping everything would be totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And if you were over levered, like I think you were just over levered. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel less bad there, um, but still feel bad. Like it's so unfortunate, but um, I feel less bad. <laughs> yeah. And the th- I, I feel especially less bad um, just because when you think about it, one unintended consequence of Airbnb is in certain areas it raises the rent for people because people were doing Mm -hmm. that you know just getting a bunch of places and renting them out for significantly higher on airbnb because you can make a lot more money than just renting it out to a person and so it was driving up housing prices in a lot of areas um so if that could stop a little bit that'd be great but i mean that's just kind of how business Mm -hmm. goes at the end of the day so what are you going to do about it yeah things will typically try to even itself out over time Mm -hmm. Uh, i do like airbnb i think they're they're positioned really well. I, I know they did have to lay off like 25% of their staff, which is super unfortunate. And I saw a lot of LinkedIn posts of people looking for jobs 
um, after they got laid off. Although I did hear they got a pretty generous severance package. I think he had mentioned that in the call. Um, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe it's two or three months of pay, um, which would be pretty generous. But I think they'll they'll be around the last. I think luckily for them, relative to the hotel companies, they're not holding on to a ton of paper in mm-hmm. terms of mortgages and leases. And so yeah, um, they, I don't think they're holding a ton of liabilities, luckily. Yeah, they're they're positioned way better than the hotel industry to bounce back, especially considering that the whole hotel industry was so reliant on business travelers. Yeah, that's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they're definitely in the better position, I think. I don't know what's going to happen with hotels because they're just not yeah. that many rooms are going to be needed <laughs> anymore. Mm-hmm. Unless businesses exactly. and airlines all decide together, like, oh, we're still going to have people travel by air. But I don't think they're they're all going to work together. It's like, no, I'm going to lose tons of money by doing that. Why would I do that? <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And I do wonder if they'll they'll IPO. I know they raised capital, I think, in March and had a twenty six billion dollar valuation. And then they had to raise, I think they issued some debt a month later, like once COVID started to hit and they realized they were in trouble. And I think um, through that round, they almost had to half their valuation to 18 million or 18 billion, excuse me. And so they went from 26 to 18 in just the course of like eight weeks. Um, And so I'm sure from his perspective and your point, like he's nervous about going public Mm -hmm. and he doesn't want to lose a ton of money off of that um, and take a ton of haircut on um, going public. And if they do, if they go and it was like 18 billion, 20 billion, I would buy that all day, though. Oh, I'm yeah. pretty bullish on Airbnb. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if he's uh, concerned, though, because he, he might consider doing it this year just because they're worried. Uh, what if we just never bounce back? Like, maybe we should just do this just in case so we can get, you know, 18 billion now. But who knows? What if this isn't even worth 18 billion moving forward? I think yeah. it definitely is, like you mentioned, just because they're positioned so well and people will continue to travel and they have the options of, you know, you can go to a remote location like a remote small town and you can get a house mm-hmm. there where you might not the only hotel might be like a motel or something that you could stay in yeah so yep definitely think they're in a, a good spot but mm-hmm. time will tell yeah time will tell for sure time will tell yeah kind of uh shifting gears a little bit kind of taking it back to um i guess seattle just because this was one story that I had seen um, popping up everywhere, was that the Seattle City Council is working on potentially uh, cutting the police budget by, I think, 50% or so. Oh, wow. And what they would use some of that money for would be to um, replace current 911 operators with a civilian-controlled system, scale up community-led solutions, fund a community created roadmap to life without policing and invest in housing for all and one of the things that was a bit concerning about this um, in an article that i was reading was that as a result of this they're saying the early police chief was saying that they might have to um, close down the west seattle precinct in order to you know afford everything and the reason why this would be kind of concerning is because the West Seattle Bridge right now is closed. And so for those of you that don't know or are not from Seattle, that's like um, a major bridge that was, there's like some structural damage or something like that. And so they just abruptly had to close it like out of nowhere. And it's not going to be up for, I think like two years, two, three years. And mm-hmm. uh, because of that, that was like a really quick way to get to West Seattle from Seattle. Like it was like, and now what you have to do is you have to go all the way around, which is like a 20 minute delay in a sense. And so people are concerned by that because then it would make it a lot harder for officers to respond quickly um, there just because they wouldn't have, you know, a home base set up there and they'd have to you know, mm-hmm. be driving through or make sure they have an X number of patrol cars in that area. But if there's like a really big problem, then um, it's a lot more difficult to get there. And so that was one of the things. Um, what, what's your thoughts, though, on the, the 50 percent defunding? Do you think it's good that they're just, you know, going for it all the way or would you prefer yeah. that they take more of a surgical r- approach and like kind of test a few things out first and then see, OK, what's actually works and now let's defund? Or do you think they should just yeah. go balls deep, you know, balls the wall? Yeah, this one's a little bit harder of me just because uh, I think for like questions um, and decisions like this, like I want to look at the data super closely and it's like, well, how much has their budget grown in the last five years? And it mm-hmm. hasn't been growing like, did it grow 50% in the last five years alone? And then 
a 50% drop would make me feel a lot better. But if it's like they've already been taking hits and, you know, it's all like relative, basically. Yeah. And um, it depends like what if there was an increase, why was there an increase? What was the increase due to? Also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have to look at so many things to to make a, a thoughtful decision on like if 50% is the right number. And I don't even know if, how the budget process works. Like, do they get is it a negotiation? Like you ask for 50% and then you back it down to 10 or 20. Mm-hmm. Like, is this uh, <laughs> is that one of those where you're trying to lead with a big number and then maybe it'll get worked back down a little bit. Um, but I think ultimately I, I am encouraged that they're taking a serious look at um, how we go and allocate dollars. And I think from Carmen Best, the police chief's perspective, like obviously she's going to say that's going to have a drastic impact because that's kind of her role to say, you know, to fight for more dollars. Yeah. And so I totally understand um, what she's doing, too. And I don't know. It'll, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what comes out of it. Um, yeah. The the West Seattle precinct that does, to your point, um, since the West Seattle bridge is closed, it seems like that would have a pretty big impact. But I don't know if that's just like, um, I don't want to say threat's the right word, but, um, you know, one of her talking points to try to get it back to what she would view as a more reasonable um, decrease or at least change mm-hmm. in the budget. Yeah, yeah, agreed. And I think for me, I'm interested in the, you know, the defunding the police, but I would prefer if it was done in a like smaller, like, area-based sort of thing and they tried like a bunch of different methods and looked at what worked rather than uh, in this case just doing 50 percent and then thinking that if we do all these other things hopefully it'll work but you know it could not work or they might not be choosing the right things and then as a result um what happens instead is maybe there's a spike in crime or um, Mm -hmm. because of that then they come back and they're like oh we gotta jack this budget up crazy because it didn't work um so i just I, i would rather just them take a you know, surgical, uh, methodical approach. It might take a little bit longer, but I think the end result would be a lot better than just, we need to cut it 50%. We're going to put it in this stuff and it's going to work for sure. Um, yeah. Because if this doesn't work, it's bad for everybody. If, you know, crime goes crazy mm-hmm. and then everyone doesn't feel safe. And then I'll also mm-hmm. another thing that I'd be a little bit worried about that I was thinking about is what if it just looks like this might be working a little bit? Because, you know, maybe people aren't able to get, you know, the policing they need or they stop calling for certain things because they know it's not going to be dealt with. And in reality, Mm -hmm. things are just increasing. So, yeah, I think uh, I'm really in the camp on a more broad theme that I think police in the United States are overfunded. I do believe that is like a broad theme. But for me, is it 50 percent overfunded? Is it 75 percent, 25 percent? Like I just personally haven't educated mm-hmm. myself enough to like make have a super strong opinion about it. I think to your point, what I would try to do is do some type of phase approach. I'm a really big fan of phase approaches. And so if we want to go cut it by 50 percent, yeah. um, one thing that I would do um, or potentially look at is like, hey, can we do a 50 percent cut by year three or five? Typically, you use your three, three or five. I don't mm-hmm. know why. No one ever chooses like a four-step plan. <laughs> it's usually a three-step yeah. plan or a five-step plan. Um, and then you pick uh, an ending year goal of we need to cut it by 50% by this date. And then you do like a phase approach and create milestones um, and whatnot to do more gradual cuts. But then be super clear, like our goal is to cut it by this much. And here are the actions we're going to take to go and do that. And here's how we're going to measure success. Um and so that's personally like how I would try to approach it. But, you know, maybe maybe their plan is something much more aggressive and it's 50% is a first year cut. Um, but at yeah. least trying to do some type of phase approach with milestones, I think would be would be good. Yeah, I think I'd definitely prefer that than versus just being like, cut at 50. Let's see what happens. Like, I don't like that at all. It just it makes me nervous for what if it goes wrong, that it could go very wrong, you know? Yeah, I yeah. If it goes really wrong too, and then um, I think also what's sellable too, mm-hmm. maybe fifty percent is totally doable. My guess would be that there's going to be some pushback, and you know, then you create risks that nothing gets done in twenty twenty or the next year's budget. Um, and so, you know, leading with something that we can at least hope that both all sides would agree to. Yeah, um, I think that would be good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and I think it's very important whatever they do defund, used to defund the the police with, that goes to something that's mm-hmm. going to kind of replace maybe that loss in pre- police presence or maybe having people go to calls where police don't actually need to be there. Like, I hope that yeah. for sure is going to that sort of things and stuff that is actually mm-hmm. going to make an impact versus just, you know, maybe something like virtue signaling. Oh, if we do all this, then it'll be, you know, yeah. totally fine. Like, this will stop everything. But actually, mm-hmm. real stuff that's going to do stuff versus them, you know, just taking the funds and putting it in something totally different that's unrelated and isn't going to help anybody out. So it's... Yeah. But And they don't know what 100% is going to be that. It's a thing. So I guess we're about to find out. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um and yeah, yeah. Well, sorry, sorry go ahead oh and just the last point is what they decide how long is it going to take for you know the things that they bring in to actually show whether or not it has an impact mm-hmm. and actually is making a difference is it going to be you know years and years like community-led stuff for prevention uh is that going to take a few years to you know actually start working and uh, we'll get you know tangible results and how they measure that or Will they just stop altogether if it's not instant? They're not instantly getting results. It's just so many moving parts. It's hard to. Yeah. Yeah. But what, back to what you were saying. Oh, no. I, I was just going to say, um, yeah, I think I need to do a little bit more research to to better understand if 50%, you know, makes sense. I am super encouraged that um, our city is taking a serious look at how we allocate money across police, which is more of a reactive um, you know, type of enforcement versus mm-hmm. spending more money on more preventive types of services. And so I'm super encouraged we're taking a serious look. And um, I'm not saying that I think 50% the, they're wrong. I just haven't done enough research, but I just do hope that and try to have trust in our public leaders to, um, you know, tackle it in a way that, that makes sense, that um, can be scaled and that's milestone based, you know, that we're not turning on a on dime to do something without having a super clear cut plan on yeah. um, what the impact of that would be. Just to look good and, you know, like virtue signal, I guess. Oh, yeah. See, we did this. We're like the best yeah, like progressive sure. city ever mm-hmm. versus, you know, actually taking everything into consideration. But I, I don't know. To be honest, I don't have a ton of confidence in the yeah. Seattle City Council. <laughs> yeah. Just with how they handle everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like we have the worst homeless crisisness, one of the worst homelessness crises in the United States, like easily. And yeah. It just seems to keep getting worse and worse and they're not doing anything to, and they haven't done anything in years. It's just gotten worse. So are they really the people that, you know, are going to be able to solve this? I, I don't know. I'm just worried they're going to make it worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I would push on that a little bit. I don't know if it's uh like entirely the city council's role to solve it. And I think they have done some stuff, but obviously it's... Um, yeah, whatever they're doing, it's, it's not problem. working. They are the people that... They yeah. are kind of the people that are supposed to solve this stuff, in all honesty. Like, I know who else is supposed to solve it. Isn't it our elected yeah. officials? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I guess more of It's a complicated problem, right? Yeah. Like, uh, I don't think seven or nine people, how many people are on city council, can solve it by oh, themselves yeah. in a short period of time um, yeah. with limited budgets. Yeah, whatever you guys are doing, though, not working so far. <laughs> Uh, but yeah they're kind of they're probably fighting an uphill battle i don't know everything as well but i guess kind of uh speaking on crime though did you see about uh, roger stone sentence being commuted yeah he's he's not going right he's not going to jail at all is that how it works no so for yeah just to give our listeners some background though um if you don't know who roger stone is there's a good uh, netflix documentary on him but he is essentially a longtime Republican operative, and he was convicted of obstructing um, a congressional investigation into Trump's 2016 campaign and possible ties to Russia. Um, prosecutors actually convinced the jury that he lied under oath, withheld troves of documents, and threatened an associate with harm if he cooperated with the um, investigations. And Mr. Stone. You know, he said obviously he didn't do that and claimed that um, they just wanted to get information that would hurt Trump that didn't even exist. And he was indeed sentenced and they found him guilty of obstruction of justice and lying under oath and all that stuff and was sentenced to 40 months in prison. 
But recently, Trump commuted a sentence, and when I say commuted, that means he doesn't have to go to jail. He's just free man, so he, and he never went to jail, so he's just good. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a bit weird, and it's first it's his first um, pardon, if you want to call it that, since 2017. Um, so one of the one of the few that he's made while in office, and it's an interesting pick for sure. Um, and some Republicans have even called out, you know, this wasn't the right thing to do. I think Chris Christie had said he wouldn't have commuted his sentence. Mm-hmm. Um, shout out to Chris Christie. What an interesting dude as well. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's it's a bit weird for sure. It is. Yeah, and it's because it's like that he was directly involved with Trump and was going to jail for stuff related to Trump and then Trump just kind of let him out. I mean, loyalty, shout out to, I guess Trump's loyal to him. <laughs> yeah, and Stone's a weird dude too. Like even a lot of Trump's camp, they like, because uh, I think initially he was, Trump would oftentimes talk to Stone on the phone and stuff like late at night, just bouncing ideas off of him. And Stone's like, just, you know, he loves the attention. He's like, oh yeah, you can bounce crazy ideas off of me. And then I think finally the, the Trump campaign had to tell him like, yo, you need to stop calling this dude because... He's like crazy and not a good look for our campaign. And so they basically had said like uh, Stone's not working for the campaign anymore. Um, And so I I think there's like just um, unanimous consensus among a lot of people that this dude is not good. And um, Stone's even said himself like he's a a dirty politician or dirty trickster. Mm -hmm. Like he's an he's an expert at dirty politics. Yeah, Um, that's interesting self-branding, you know. Yeah, but uh, what does this mean in the reality? I don't, I don't know. This story is probably going to be away and gone away in a week. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's it won't last more than a couple of days. I know. I think more. Robert Moore read, wrote like an op-ed about it, and some other people are saying stuff. But I think in a couple of days, we'll have long forgotten this. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of fighting an uphill battle, and you know, I think we talked about it that you know we want to obviously be. Um, what is it not neutral but objective when we talk about Trump and stuff like that because it seems like a lot of people their whole content is you know just bashing Trump even though you know it's Mm -hmm. justified most of the time (laughs) Uh, it just gets kind of boring because everyone has the same takes on him and what he does and Mm -hmm. it's so crazy and in reality he can really do anything he wants because he's he's created an image where whenever he does something it's just like oh that's not that crazy he's done crazier things yeah it, it is interesting like his uh his approach he's created like a numbness to his um shortcomings and mistakes mm-hmm. like it's just like a he did it volume wise which is a very bold approach like i'm gonna make so many mistakes and so many you know questionable moves that like it's hard to pin me down right yeah like there's not really anything that's gonna make people like oh my god oh what is he doing uh it just gets old yeah. after a while people saying it because it's like i know it's crazy and it's but it's it's just what we're all used to now yeah the ukraine thing was pretty wild too like i completely forget about the whole impeachment thing <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> that was a thing back in the day <laughs> yeah that was the thing the impeachment thing him uh clearing out the protesters with tear gas the peaceful protesters yeah that happened a few weeks ago that was pretty wild yeah that was pretty wild uh tweeted a video of someone saying white power that was yeah, the thing too that was the thing as well he said he <laughs> these are very fine people it. yeah <laughs> it is like the first thing so, i said <laughs> yeah it's the first thing and the loudest thing and they say it two times i was like bro <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah that was nothing what else has he done let's just try and think of all the crazy stuff he's done um shithole countries comment um, yeah i can't even think of them because there's just so many like crazy things but see like if we just talked about this all the time everybody this would be like oh, oh the muslim ban that muslim was a ban, thing too that was one too um yeah. mexico's gonna pay for the wall um sean spicer in a muslim band too that was pretty when he was just like a person called a muslim band you called a muslim band yeah <laughs> and then the most mccarthy sketch on snl that yeah was classic yeah that's funny oh man sean spicer he was i think he's my favorite uh 
a White House, what was it, correspondence or what is he, chief communicator? Uh, what's, what's shoot, the uh, press, press secretary. Press or secretary. I think he was my favorite because he was like the first of the, the bold faced lies, like when he was lying about the inauguration. Yeah. It was the biggest inauguration ever. <laughs> what a lovable creep, really, is what he is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was that was so funny when that's how the way they, we started out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the biggest inauguration ever. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm curious to see if uh, Joe Biden gets elected, if it'll the new cycle will be the same as it is now. Is it just maybe the social media age will will now know of all the presidents, you know, crazy things that he does or or what? I mean, I think Trump really adds to it with all the crazy stuff he does. But is it going to be somewhat similar? Or what do you think it would be like under Biden? Be no stories all the time, like relatively boring. Oh no, it's going to be way more boring for yeah. sure. It'll be way more boring for sure. Yeah, probably probably good. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> we'll probably be good. Yeah, we'll have less to talk about, or we'll just have different stuff to talk about. We always, I feel like we're like, dang, we have to talk about Trump and coronavirus again. Yeah, <laughs> like every so week. crazy, you know. <laughs> yeah, this I mean, God touch on thing. it though. Yeah. Maybe next week we'll discuss Will and Jada. I know we were. Will um, and Jada. Oh, man. We don't have to dive into that. I, I see we're almost at an hour right now, so I don't think we want to open up that box, but that was a, an interesting one, too. Yeah, yeah. We can we can hold off on that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I guess we might as well just shut things down then. Anything else you want to talk about or pretty much ready? No. It was good talking to you always. It was, um, yeah, it's a crazy stuff, a lot of crazy stuff going on, but it's always fun chatting with you about it yeah absolutely um thanks everyone for listening forgot to mention this at the beginning but we have a youtube channel where we post clips we're still kind of figuring it out right now um and also figuring out how to get people to look at it so if you if you do see it subscribe look us up out of office podcast you'll find us for like the 12th video down Um, (laughs) but that's just clips feel free to share them with your friends and yeah thanks for listening everybody sounds good see you next week